0: Yeah, follow that. (laughs) I tell you what, there's one reason I can tell you I'll follow it is because I know this gospel ensemble. They're not leaving me now. They've gone to pray for me. (laughs) These are the the folks that do double duty on Sunday. You know, they do 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. And what I know for a fact is that they are praying for me and for you in this hour. And that's a good thing to know with a text like the one that we have today. Because this is not my favorite text. You're going to hear me say that a lot over the years. (laughs) I come to anything from Paul kind of like I sometimes go through the mail at home. You you know, uh, some letters I'm happy to get, and they go to the top of the pile, and some of them go to the bottom, right? Does that happen at your house? If Paul were actually writing to me, his letters would go to the bottom. Many times, he's got some tough stuff in there. I I tiptoe up to Paul in my studies. I don't I don't run to do these, but the lectionary being what it is, and the discipline of the church year being wise, uh, we're going to be looking at his letter to the church at Corinth, his first letter to the church at Corinth, for the next several weeks and learning from it a lot of things about what it's like to be church and who we are as church. Now, they had real trouble in Corinth, and I don't want to imply to you that I think we have real trouble at Resurrection Church. What I do think is that overhearing Paul's conversation with the church at Corinth is always a good thing to do, and maybe in times that we're not in crisis is the best time to do it, And so we're going to do that uh, over the next several weeks. That, my focus will be largely there with uh, hints from the gospel of how to interpret what we're reading in those epistle lessons. There are times when we want to believe people have special credentials that match the task before them. When someone is suddenly sick or hurt, what do we do? What's the first thing out of our mouths? Dial 911, right? If I was actually bleeding up here, you all would dial 911, wouldn't you? (laughs) Okay, dial 911. We rely heavily on the hope that there's someone on the other end of the 911 telephone line who knows what they're doing and who has both the authority and the knowledge to come and help us to calm the crisis and to take care of us and make us safe. Some of you are old enough to remember when the 911 system didn't exist. Uh, the little rural county that I grew up in over in Georgia was one of the first counties in our region to get the 911 system. And for me, it was a source of inordinate pride. I, I hadn't done anything to do with it, you know, but I took great pride in the fact that when you drove into Crisp County, Georgia, there was a sign at the county line that said, In emergency. Dial 911. It was a message from the county commissioners, who were the authorities in charge of such things, to us as citizens and also to our visitors from other places that they wanted us to be as safe as possible. In emergency, dial 911. When we turn to others for help in times of crisis, we want to know they're qualified for the task. Now some folks in the church in Corinth had sent a 911 message to their founding preacher, to Paul. The church was in trouble. There was dissension over leadership. There was behavior that was tearing at the fabric of community. So first, Chloe's family and the home group that she hosted. We still have home groups in this church. First Chloe and her home group and then some of the men of the church and finally the leadership of the church. All got word to Paul who was in Ephesus, we're in trouble. This congregation is facing issues that might very well tear us apart. So that's why we have the letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. They are interventions born of crisis. So Paul begins by establishing his authority to intervene. He's going to have some hard things to say to the Corinthian Christians. So he reminds them as he gets started of his credentials as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now friends, this is where I have to tell you my hackles go up. Um, I understand the usefulness to Paul of establishing his credentials with the Corinthian church, but when he starts showing his badge, that's when I get nervous as a gay man. All right? Considering the way Paul's writings have been used to hurt and divide God's people over the years, my hackles go up when he calls himself an apostle, when he addresses himself to Not just to the Corinthian Christians, but to all of us who believe on Christ and who have dedicated ourselves to lives of service to Jesus. If Paul's talking to me, and whether he intended to or not, he is, I have to decide to get over my disdain for abusive authority before I can ever get off the first line of the letter and get down into the content. So here's how I'm able to do that. Here, and as it turns out, throughout the rest of the letter, and we're going to be hearing this letter a lot for the next several weeks, Paul points to Jesus as the ultimate authority behind his own. Now, Jesus, I trust. Paul, I'm a little squirrely about. Jesus, I trust. John the Baptist's witness in our gospel lesson to who Christ is comforts me on the way into Paul's letter. Jesus is the Lamb of God whose chief purpose is redemption of a world broken and hurting. Jesus, John says, came before John even though he was born after John. Uh, This is the first allusion that the author of the Gospel of John makes to a fact that he wants to drum into our dear little ears. You hear this a lot. That Jesus was with God at the very creation. Jesus is the co-creative child of God. And this is the first time that arises in John's Gospel. Jesus is not just another prophet come to shame and manipulate us. He's the co-creative child of God whose first desire is reconciliation. John the Baptist knows it's so because he has seen the Holy Spirit present with Jesus. So there's another sign. You can trust somebody if the Spirit is with them. If this Jesus is the one Paul claims as the source of his authority, then I'm interested in what Paul has to say. When afraid in times of crisis, we turn to Jesus because he is like God and can help us and like us and will help us. I'm comforted by Christ's desire for companions on the journey, so evident in his welcome of those who would become his first disciples, first into his home or wherever it was that he was staying, and then into an ever-deepening friendship, which is clearly christ's desire for each of us from the beginning of jesus ministry christ leads not by divine fiat not through power displays but through mentoring and storytelling and teaching by example i'm able to hear what paul has to say to the corinthians and to us because he implies that we will be able to judge what follows in his letter by how well it matches up against the life and teachings of my beloved Jesus Christ. Having established his authority and reminded the church of Corinth of their identity as Christians, Paul then offers thanks to God for the gifts he has seen in that congregation. And they were some marvelous, marvelous gifts. Now... Paul had come in as a visiting preacher and then left them. They had to fend for themselves. And in spite of the fact that they didn't have a seated senior pastor to tell them what to do and think, they managed to get the gift of speech, words that moved their neighbors to want to join them in the Jesus movement. They were an evangelical community In the nicest sense of that word. Another word we've got to redeem in some way. They were about going out and getting others to come and follow Jesus. Secondly, they had been given a knowledge of God's desire for reconciliation and peace. They'd been given a vision that Dr. King described and many others after him as the beloved community. They'd been given knowledge that was different from the people around them in that very busy port city of Corinth it was a lot like Houston in a lot of ways and thirdly they'd been given strength in the face of adversity that was very real challenges that kept them always looking over their shoulder because they had real enemies does that feel familiar to you at all in this church The gifts they had received seemed to have sprung from the vision God had delivered to them through Paul of a new day that was coming in which Christ would reign in power rooted in love. They had caught sight of a world in which everyone has enough because everyone shares. They had seen glimpses of a new reality in which war is unnecessary because all people are sisters and brothers. That would be a new age. They had seen the promised land of justice in which all are treated with dignity because love is the law. The Corinthian church had attached themselves to a vision of a new earth with only the Lord of love as its ruler. And while living into that vision, they had found gifts they never imagined possible they discovered new ways of speaking, new ways of being together, and had shown the people around them in Corinth a new way of living that drew many of their neighbors to want to live that way too. It was a new vision of how life could be that generated new behaviors, new models for community, and a heartbeat of courage that empowered that church at Corinth to grow in spite of the fact that it had real enemies and real internal distractions. Paul remembered the Corinthian Christians' gifts for ministry and reconciliation, even as they had begun to show some signs that they had forgotten them. Remember those troubles that Chloe and her family complained about? They'd begun to forget, but Paul remembered those gifts. And as he remembered he lifted up what in old church language we used to call a paying of praise. A shout of thanksgiving. Got a little happy. <laughs> you know I'm not going to do it much, but every once in a while <laughs> That was Paul. got started thinking about his church at Corinth that he'd helped to start and he loved so much, not his church but Christ's church and he had a shout of joy because of their giftedness, I have had a little dose myself in the last few weeks of what made Paul so happy as I've met with many of you to talk about your love for Resurrection Metropolitan Community Church and your visions for what we can do together in ministry in the future. As you've shared your dreams about the ministry to which God is calling us, the unique giftedness of this congregation has become clearer and clearer to me. I believe we have unique gifts for ministry and service. We have a language about the mission of the church that is unique among our neighbors. Last Sunday night and Monday... Your staff colleagues and I all went down to Galveston. We enjoyed uh, a borrowed beach house. We're grateful to those who lent it to us. And we went on retreat to finish up the planning for the year of of our work. And we kept constantly before us while we were there the mission statement you all have discerned and given to us to try to implement with your help. Can you say what the mission of this church is? The mission of Resurrection Metropolitan Community Church? To share God's unconditional love through Christian action. To share God's unconditional love through Christian action. That is a unique set of language that you're not going to hear in a lot of other churches in this region. We have a unique calling, and we have been gifted by God with the language that matches it. In a region filled with churches who preach love but practice exclusion, it is rare language indeed. To those of us who have heard mostly raised voices of judgment in the church, this message of inclusion sounds like an unknown tongue, doesn't it? It's going to need some interpretation for us to really get it and for us to be able to share it with our neighbors. But secondly, this church has been granted the gift of interpretation. It is a knowledge developed over the years by having stayed in community with each other even when some of you didn't like others of you. Now, here's where I'm I'm going to tiptoe again. Y'all watch. In my sharing with you all over the last several weeks, I have heard time and again stories that start out, well, my family used to look like this, but now it looks like this. And we've managed in the process to work things out and to stay friends. That's a gift. Again and again, I have heard, I didn't like what that person was doing, and so I confronted them. And in our conversation, I learned some things about that person and what was motivating them and what they were trying to do and who they were. And I got my point across too. And you know, the amazing thing about it is we've been friends ever since, and now we serve on every committee in the church together. And how often I have heard, well, I didn't get everything I wanted, but I remembered why we're here. And why is that? Why are we here? Last week, I had dinner with a man who drives two hours each way to come to worship with us whenever he can put the money together to do so. If you don't think that'll make you want to get up and preach a sermon and be careful about what you put in it. mm, mm, mm. Two hours each way. He said, I never thought I would ever find a place that really worshipped Jesus and accepted me as I am. What a gift. Honestly, folks, if I weren't so humbled by your stories of what you've learned as you have done the sometimes tedious work of living in Christian community, I would shout for joy. But shouting's not really in my personality. What I usually do instead is dissolve into tears, but tears of joy for the gifts that I see in this congregation. Your witness and your strength of character have made this congregation a center of action on behalf of the marginalized and the dispossessed. We walk confidently into the future because we keep, as Dr. King said, our eyes on the prize. The vision that is before us of a just and peaceful world where law is love. We are not perfect, but we are courageous disciples building on a solid foundation, keeping always before us the vision of the new world that we are helping to create.